0: You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Well, thank you for your warm welcome back and for praying for us. Um, It's very much appreciated. And uh, do go on doing that, I mean, both praying and welcoming. Um, We're going to be looking at Psalm 8 and uh, the the game plan um, is that we finish looking at Psalm 8 at about seven o'clock, uh, which is in about quarter of an hour's time. Let me tell you that will be a miracle. If that <laughs> um, and then um, those of you who uh, feel the urge to be somewhere else uh, for whatever reason—that's um, not a sort of a polite reference to going to the toilet, but maybe um, then. Uh, leave, and, and uh, we'll have about 20 minutes, half an hour of Q&A afterwards, um, and uh, I pray that, that will be a blessing to you. So it's, this is just a sort of a starter, a taster on Psalm 8. Uh, let's read it together. Psalm 8, if, uh, I think it's probably on fi- page 546 of the Church Bible, um, O Lord, or let's just read it as it is, O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Yahweh! Our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So let's just dive in. This is not a psalm about us. Uh, we will be thinking about you know, what is man, and we'll be we're looking at what, what, what we mean by humanity and, and the state that it's in and everything um, in the Q&A. So that, you know, that's a theme, but it's not actually a psalm about us. Uh, we have this uh, almost incorrigible habit of making everything about us. Very interesting in the testimony there that you know, God said uh, to to the guy, it's not about you, it's about me. And uh, the same is true of Psalm 8. We read it and we immediately are interested in what it says about us. I mean, that's to some extent, that's that's kind of just human nature. We do that. You know, you see a large group photograph, you start looking for your own face in it, and you, you show uh, wedding photos to people who are in them, and all they're thinking about is, "Oh, I look awful in that picture." You know, never mind how beautiful and radiant the bridegroom is, or how you know, sorry, the bride is, or whatever. It's just you know, oh, look at me. Um, But unfortunately, we do the same when we come before the the, the maker and creator of the universe whose glory outshines the sun and, and who is the true object and center of our entire existence. So it's a psalm about God. Now, that's not just a sort of a general theological point to make and something nice and humble for the speaker to say. It's written into the psalm itself. That's really coming from the text because the psalm is structured with two bookends, um, and the idea in, in um, this kind of structuring of, of uh, Hebrew, Hebrew writing, it's not just poetry, it happens in, in narrative as well, is that what comes at the beginning and the end frames everything in between. So it's not just a nice opening and a neat conclusion that repeats it in you know, an inclusio, in, in, in this sort of a, you know, neat literary sense. It, it's a way of saying in the structure that everything is framed by, by what? Not by us. So it's not a psalm about us. Everything is framed by God being Yahweh, that is, the one who, who, who is I, the I am, I will be what I will be, the completely self-existent and self-determining God, the one who needs nothing from us, uh, the one who is entire, In Himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, C.S. Lewis has a great uh, little phrase. It says, In God there is no hunger that needs to be filled, only plenteousness that needs to fill. In God there is no hunger that needs to be filled, only plenteousness that needs to fill. So Yahweh, uh, and Yahweh is our Lord. O Yahweh, our Lord. That is, he has made us his own. So we belong to him, and he has given himself to us. So that we can say in the the, the words of the old song, I am his, and he is mine. So the one who is self-determining, self-existent, the one who is sovereign in himself who needs nothing from us, but is full of this plenteousness to give, has made himself yours and has made you his. And he is majestic everywhere. So he is not just the God of the Christians, or in the context of the psalm, the God of Abraham's children, the God of the Jews. He is not just um, a little local god. Terry Pratchett has uh, a, a, one of the, All his books are great books. But um, one of them is particularly great. Uh, <laughs> great beyond great. Um, when, when Terry Pratchett wrote Small Gods... Some of you read Small Gods. Put your hands up if you read Small Gods. Samuel, John has. Yeah, good. good. Um, and the, the main sort of thing he's working out in Small Gods is that a god is only as big as the number of people who believe in him. And so the particular God in in the story um, shrinks as fewer and fewer people believe in him. And then something quite sort of weird and wonderful happens, as it does in every Terry Pratchett book, in fact, on almost every page of every Terry Pratchett book. And suddenly, by the end, the God grows. And I I think Terry Pratchett was putting his finger on something, which is part of, uh, I don't know if it's part of our psychology or or what, or just our particular kind of warpedness, but... We, we can tend to think that God is like that. Well, you know, he's not that great because not that many people believe in him. Um, but he is, he is majestic. His name is majestic in all the earth. So he reigns over all things everywhere at all times. So when you go into uh, your lab or your lecture room or when you go into your office or when you go into Tesco or wherever it happens to be that you go, he is majestic, he is sovereign, he is Lord there as much as he is in St. Peter's Free Church's building this evening now. Everywhere you go, go to Syria, go to Malawi, go to New Zealand, go to the States. He is majestic. His name is the name of the majesty. O Lord, our Lord, O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So what that that does in framing the psalm is to say this is about God and his greatness and his sovereign rule and his sovereign rule over all things and within that, his free and sovereign covenant love for his people. Now, that does something for us, but we have to look at that almost kind of incidentally. What that does for us is it puts us in the position of the psalmist here, which is to say we should worship you. You are worthy of of our worship and our praise. You are the majestic one. We aren't. You're special. And anything good about us is going to be derived from you and who you are. I can't remember if I've said this uh, before here, but you know the old children's song, I'm special because God has loved me. Have I made this point before? Maybe, did know, I? I don't know. You won't remember. <laughs> People just don't remember points that preachers make, do they? <laughs> so preachers don't either. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm special because God has loved me. You know that one? Some of you old enough to know it. Um, our cultural version is, I'm special, therefore God has loved me. And it's, it's so easy for us to, Im, to approach this psalm, that kind of thinking. God is special. Part of his specialness is that he does love us. So it's a psalm about God. And even as we go through the psalm, We we need to remember this is is a psalm of worship and praise. It's not a psalm of anthropology, although there is anthropology in it. It's not a a psalm of of affirmation. There is wonderful affirmation in it. It's a psalm of worship and praise all the way through. So what we should hear is, is sort of an emphasis on the you and your rather than on the us and me, I and us thing. So there should be a sort of an emotional highlighter when we're reading this, and, and a, a sort of a doctrinal highlighter as we read it that highlights every instance of you and your. So I'm going to read it now, and I'm going to verbally try and do that for us, and I hope that as I do so, the, the whole psalm shifts for us, and our orientation towards the psalm becomes an orientation of worship of God rather than finding out lovely things about ourselves, which we do, but that's secondary. So, here we go. O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe on the agenda and the avengers. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? It's not questioning the mindfulness so you're to read that as a statement what is man that you are mindful of him the son of man that you care for him you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and brackets you crowned him with glory and honor you made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. O Yahweh our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then we can come to what it says about us when we recognize that what it says about us is to his glory, because what it says about us is what he has done with us and how he regards us. So what does it say? Well, it says um, that we are created and that we are created almost as gods. So that little phrase... Um, You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, or you made him a little lower than the angels, in verse 5 there. You'll see if the footnote, if you've got the NIV and the magnifying glass, it says there, all than God, the gods, the heavenly beings, and we're not to think they're of angels. Um, The the heavenly beings in the context of of an ancient Near Eastern cosmology was all the gods. Those were the, 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 the heavenly beings. So we're made just a little lower, just fractionally lower than God's. So the girl at the checkout is an immortal. We are created almost at his level. Our minds might go back to the Garden of Eden and to. Genesis 1 and 2 and and to be made in the image of God to bear about us the very image of God to be mirrors of God and to be given in the garden the tasks because we're not only created but we are also crowned with glory and honor and commissioned to be vice regents on earth of the one who is majestic in and over all the earth. So we are created by God, just like him, and we are crowned and commissioned by God to do just what he does. So as he is majestic in all the earth, reigning in majesty and sovereignty, so he gives us rule over the works of his hands. Astonishing, isn't it? So we have a unique relationship with God. We have a unique place in creation. And there was one unique representative of this. Because, of course, when we look around, we see that we are not living up to our crowns, nor our commission. And we are not bearing that created image in anything like the way we should. But somebody has done. And so in one sense, even though the psalm is about the creator and what he does by ennobling us and affirming us the the splendor of all that he has made, it is also, as well as a creation psalm, it's also a kind of a messianic psalm. uh, Because we actually have somebody who lived this. We have somebody who perfectly bore in his image the very likeness of God who was the visible image of the invisible God, who stood up in the boat and commanded the wind and the waves, and they were still, whose sovereignty over creation was demonstrated time after time. So just in closing, and just this brief sort of sketch, all I'm doing is giving you some brush strokes for the psalm, hooks to, to sort of get into it. Um, what what can we say? Well, first of all, or what will I say? First of all, there is a strong contrast being drawn by David here between what he understood from what the Spirit taught him and what everybody else around the Israelites thought. Uh, The Babylonian myth which draws from a whole lot of older Mesopotamian um, myths, um, talked about, in the Elish, about uh, Marduk, the the Babylonian god, uh, engraving on stones all the planets. So when David says, um, when I consider your heavens the work of your fingers, it's a kind of it's a tract against God's people swallowing the myth around them. So just, just take that to heart. Hang some thoughts on that, if, if, if you will. That there is a note about this which is a, a defiance of the prevailing cultural global myth. So when you, when you would sing this psalm, you were declaring that you were different from the people around you. Second, God has made us more splendid and more glorious than anything else will ever make us. Any God that is not God will crush us or disappoint us or suck us dry. Only God truly ennobles us and he does so more than we would ever dare to think uh, third thing uh, the psalm is going back to the original point the most amazing corrective to self-preoccupation uh, our culture is almost desperate in the, the measures it will take to affirm ourselves, to, to encourage us to affirm ourselves. It's almost as if the reality is such a cold, dark, gnawing, terrible thing that we have to find excuse after excuse to shout into our own ears, you know, nah, 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 kind of thing that we're wonderful. And the reason why we have to do that instead of resting and glorifying God is because in our culture we have taken God out of the picture. So then you actually have no grounds for saying anything wonderful about us. You have no grounds for talking about a glorious humanity Once God has gone, Where, where do you get the glory? Look at the way we live. Look at what we do. Look at child trafficking. Look at the refugee crises. Look at the disparity of distribution of the resources that God has blessed the planet with. Look at injustices that are wreaked upon people in every part of the world. Look at the despair that comes upon successful people. Look at the mess we have made. What is there? Who is there? What grounds are there other than this glorious, majestic God for us being anything other than a virus? There aren't any. Except wishful thinking and denial. But once you've got this God in the picture, then you can have a glorious humanity. And then you can take out into this world genuine good news. That is not part of the cruel deception, but is the answer to that dark, bleak, gnawing reality. So that's enough. That's uh, nearly ten past. <laughs> no miracles tonight, I'm afraid. Uh, let's pray. Lord, we bow before you. And uh, we, we declare with David, O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name, your name in all the earth. Lord, there are many things that make us feel small and unimportant and rightly so. but how we thank you that however small and unimportant we are you give us the most astonishing significance and you've given that to everyone so Lord as we uh, move out we who are being just progressively remade in the image of Christ the image of God as we move out into a world of of tragic immortals we pray you give us love Lord you have you are mindful of us and you care for us you are mindful of everyone And you care for everyone. Lord, we worship you. We bow before you. Give you glory and praise and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.